All right, coffee and theology. We took a break for the month of June, most part, and um, are just getting back in the swing of t- things on July sixth, July sixth, two thousand twenty-two. Coffee and theology. We have a good group on this morning. This is a group, um, a group experience. This is not intended to be a um, a church service or a teaching. Uh, platform necessarily it's intended to be a a group uh, interaction where uh, and participation where questions are invited and welcomed even and um, where we talk about debatable things and taboo things and challenge um, conventional norms as an effort in in this community to examine and receive our faith um, we have um, so covered so many topics over the years, and um, I know that today will be just as, as excellent as any of them. Uh, we're missing a few key people um, that we normally have on, but I know that that is because of d- different work schedules, um, uh, different uh, work schedules. Heidi, you'll help me with the muting if you can. Um, I know that, like, for example, some of our, like, I can name three people, but I won't since we're recording this, that um, that have got a different work schedule and they're not going to be able to join us if we continue on this day and time. And uh, and then another one that we'll have to talk about who um, we are missing. And then, oh, Norma. Yeah, Norma is also in out of state so she's working a different schedule this week uh, so we miss her but then also of course kelly and amber and bob and uh, chris all have different schedules right now so we might consider doing something different at a different day and time in order to include more people um it seems like if i am intuiting correctly that maybe the season the seasons of time are, are switching and and we're needing wanting needing something different and something something more to maybe maybe change it up because we've been on this particular platform for a number of years now i mean at least two at least two solid years we've been doing it this way and then before that it was two years in person um, so 40 years of coffee and theology talk um i did see christine you were unmuted did you want to chime in i would love to hear hear from you okay cool good (laughs) that was a that was a mistake or you didn't intend to do that okay so i want to discuss today this idea of original sin um Original sin. Have you guys heard of that? Um, and kind of what that means. Um, I'm just going to talk. If you have something to interject and want to make a comment or ask a question, please just unmute yourself and chime in since I don't have a lot of videos on today. I'll just, um, you know, kind of wait for you guys to unmute to, to join the conversation. Um, original sin. And then juxtaposed to that, original blessing. So we don't hear too much about a concept of original blessing. Um, the Really the idea that the Christian church of, in our part of the world and in many other parts believe that we have an original curse, that there's an original sin, that we were born into sin um, born into sin because of Adam and Eve, and then um, God sent Jesus to redeem us from that original curse, that original sin nature, and redeem us by the blood of the cross, by the cross and the activity on the cross. And thereafter we are there's like basically in our minds from a christian perspective we have 
people who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and are now blessed or saved. And then we have people who have not um, either heard about the news of the gospel or have not um, accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And those people remain under the curse of the original curse, the original sin of Adam. So we see in the scripture this idea of two different kinds of humanity, um, those born of Adam, those born of Christ. Um, but then inside of Christ, or in, on this side of that era since the cross, we then bifurcate it again, and we say, okay, well, there's people who believe and there's people who don't believe, meaning that there are people who are saved and people who are not saved. Um, taking it a step further, it would mean that there are people who are going to heaven and there are people who are going to hell. So we call that being born into sin, being born into sin. That's the concept there, that you're born into sin and you are a sinner until you make a decision, a point, a point at which you make a decision to accept Christ and thereafter you are considered by the church as saved okay um anybody have trouble with how i've outlined that so far this aspect it's kind of basic definitions of what it means to be born into sin as we understand it cool yeah so Humanity, and, and because of, well, humanity at, at large, and the scriptures also would support this idea that we are fundamentally broken. Um, that's what we mean by original sin, that we're fundamentally broken, fundamentally separate, fundamentally sinful. That's that's kind of that. That is what that means. That's a uh, a paradigm that has been pumped into the church for centuries and pumped into humanity um, by all kinds of people. That we are fundamentally sinners until we accept Jesus. That's kind of a it's kind of a separation there. We're fundamentally sinners. And there are those that are saved and those that are unsaved. I keep kind of driving this point home because I'm, I'm wanting to use language that resonates with your particular brand of how you understand religion um, and set up this idea of original of original sin. I mean, for example, Paul throughout the scriptures would say that for you've probably heard this for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, uh, other places that say, you know, you know, in answering the question, how can one be saved? It's the answer is if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. Um, other places that, that talk about if um, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, so we, the church certainly depends on which church you're talking about, but the church that we're, we're kind of all swimming in the same water here. The church that we're talking about, Western civilization, Christianity, would say, yeah, that this is what we hear from our pulpits every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night. You are a sinner saved by grace. You are, you are this, but because of God's relentless kindness and everlasting goodness and because of how much he loved us, he sent his son to die for us so that we would be saved. Yeah, so um, that's original sin. That's the paradigm or the mindset of original sin. And that's what we pump out to our missionaries. It's why we have missionaries in the world. It's why we send people out um, based on the Great Commission from the ends of the Gospels, you know, and from the first part of Acts. Uh, great commission to go into all of the world and preach 
of the gospel. And those who hear and believe will be saved, and those who don't will be condemned, or they already are condemned forever. So this idea that there is a, within an individual's lifetime, there is a pre- and a post-salvation experience, because this little, like if we wanted to take it real kind of home to where we live right now, it would be basically saying that, you know, the ba little babies among us, if you think about our families that we have at House Church, think about little babies that are, you know, six months old, one year old, two years old, three years old. Um, I can imagine, I can uh, see their little curly heads right now. All the little tiny kids that are that are in the church, we would the way we what we were taught is those children are fundamentally flawed. They they are they are sinners. They are born into sin, and it's hard when you put a face on it to think. Wait a minute, putting a face on your little babies that. I see a bunch of parents on here, and first time you held your little your little infant, your little newborn, I'm sure the first thing that came to your mind probably wasn't, oh, you little sinner, you little reprobate, um, <laughs> you little scoundrel, you... Um, I don't care what the baby shower card said. You are not a blessing from heaven. You came straight from your spawn of the dark side, you know. Yeah, right. I mean, I've seen a couple of moms on here. and You're, you're like, absolutely not. Like, when, when you see a little newborn baby, you basically are, like, seeing the most innocent, <laughs> most, most beautiful, innocent um representation of love and light itself i mean we we look into those well we can't look into their eyes when they just first came out but you just look at that little thing and i mean all the compassion and love and um, desire to protect desire to hold nourish to to feed you give up so much in the birthing process you give up your life, your body as you once knew it, you give up your whole self to for the sake of this child. But the church at large has called that original curse. We're supposed to think that that little child is a spawn of Adam, is under the original curse, is cursed until they get old enough to make a an eloquent decision an informed decision about whether or not they're going to choose to go to heaven or hell when they die. I mean, this is an interesting paradigm when you peel it back like that. But we do that because the scripture has been taught in such a way that we really believe that we are we are sinners, saved, saved at some point in our lifetime. Hear me when I say that. It's like there's this individual chronology, the individual lifetimes that there's a decision point for the individual at which point they're going to either go to heaven or go to hell interesting uh interesting concept um yeah so go ahead eve we're just discussing and kind of identifying and defining original sin and the curse and original cursing go ahead eve um, just, just, a just a comment on what you're saying. Our background in the churches, um, was like, um, my background went so far. That's why my dad hated abortion because he literally thought that the aborted babies would go straight to hell for eternity. So, oh, oh, right. I forgot about that. So yeah, yeah, it goes, it wasn't even like born into sin. It was like, that is your essential nature to the, to the point that if you don't have the opportunity to be born into a Christian family and go through all those stages, you are automatically suffering for eternity. So just. Yeah, that's really 
that's a really powerful reminder. They, they, because the original sin construct, the original curse construct, would say that the moment that life conception begins, you are now a candidate for hell unless you have the consciousness and get to live long enough to make a decision for heaven. That is so, so interesting um, to, to think about that. It like, wow. wow, right? I mean, just to, to really consider what is the first thing you think of when you hear that? It's like, it almost sounds like that is not fair. Like, it doesn't even <laughs> like, wow. It changes my, uh, it well, not changes, but it helps me better understand some of the evangelical um, reactions and um, absolute just unwavering um, belief that abortion is horrible. I mean, I, I, for whatever reason, I thank you for sharing that, Eve, because I, it didn't occur to me that that's what they're thinking about. I mean, no wonder there's so many that are so um, adamant about it. And um, I hadn't thought about that. that. That changes things. It changes my perspective a little bit, not as far as the abortion, not as far as abortion goes, but as far as how they're reacting and, and why people feel so strongly about it. Yeah, for sure. I tend to get myself into, um, I invite tension, uh, not, not in a strife way, but I love to ask people questions that I know have a different opinion than I do, a different belief mm -hmm. than I do, with genuine curiosity to ask those questions. Say, what, what makes you rejoice about this mm -hmm. overturning of this bill? Does it help me, does help me understand what makes you feel at peace at night about it? Yeah. And somewhere as, wild some have been as wild as what you've just shared and some have just been really heartfelt in their their desire to keep life and to sustain life and just the way in which um, those procedures have been done historically and how much harm and hurt they can cause both the fetus and the mother that their hearts were going out to in those directions um we i was not planning i was not going to get to abortion today on this call because it's such a hot topic for us as just last week Roe was overturned. Um, but it's interesting because it was kind of in, on my radar and I thought, I wonder if we should start. Well, we didn't have to start there. We, we got there. <laughs> by, uh, it organically happened. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't even, I mean, of course it's on my mind, but um, <laughs> it wasn't intentional. I was just, I was just, it's just how pervasive that, belief how far it goes um in original sin i i kind of identified it as the turning point of everything like back in my in my growing up years is whether you believe that people are essentially good or essentially evil mm -hmm. <laughs> is going to dictate everything mm -hmm. from everything yeah so that's that's kind of what i'm inching up to is 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 about you know this when we think about the word myth we sometimes we think of like greek mythology or myths as being false i've learned years ago that myths are endlessly true like they have these this prism of understanding that myths are and stories are here to show us the multi-surfaced sides of a truth. And we could also call them parables, right? Like the, the parables that we live by, the things that are cast alongside something to expose a truth or to articulate something that is hard to describe, we use parables, myths, stories. And I would just wonder if it would be okay if I called the original sin and curse a myth, a not because it's not true, but it's endlessly true, it's endlessly unfolding, but it is a myth or a paradigm from which we get our own mindsets. That's how we approach ourselves in the world. So it's a, it's the original curse myth, for example. Um, it, it, I know that putting them together feels a little bit false because 
like, well, wait, that is what happened. That's what Augustine said happened for us is that we are born into sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We must repent and be saved. We must repent. And within our unique lifetimes, um, or we will be damned. Um, but it seems like you guys are comfortable with being able to call the original curse, original sin construct, a myth by which centuries of people, generations of people have lived and died under that construct, under that paradigm, um, that there must be a choice point in the individual lifetime that would determine someone saved or not saved. It's, it's why I hold the hands of so many people who cry at their loved one's death, not knowing whether or not they were saved, not knowing, um, wondering, waiting, worrying that they have gone to hell because they didn't know of any point in that person's life, or maybe that person lived in such a way that would just tell you like, oh, they're definitely not a Christian or they're definitely not saved because they lived like the devil, for example. So they're scared when they die. All of those things are very, very, very real. Um, the way we handle death and, and life and how we view people, how we separate and categorize people. Um, that myth personally has saturated my being that uh, way of believing um i was i was knit together in my mother's womb believing in original sin <laughs> believing in a curse i mean it was the womb that i that i was born in i was born into that strong belief that i was bad and that my humanity was an obstacle to my faith. My humanity is an obstacle to my faith that um, I was loved and wanted by my parents, but the message was that I was rejected by God because and when I acted in ways that were sinful, when or if I sinned that I needed to repair my relationship with God by confessing and um, receiving forgiveness. And if Jesus were to come back in a gap, from the last confession of sin to the next confession of sin, I would likely go to hell and not go with Jesus in the rapture or if I were to die suddenly in a car accident or something like that and was in a gap in between forgivenesses, then I was I was going to hell. Like my parents literally pumped that into me. They put they used to call that putting the fear of God into a person and, and saying, look, you have got to stay right with God or God will get real wrong with you real, real fast. Like you are always one decision away from eternal damnation. So that's a mixed signal because in those families, they value life. In those families and those belief systems, they believe uh yes you know teresa sander you would go to pur purgatory that was not a belief that was not part of our belief system in in my church but i but i hear what you're saying yeah would you want to say more about that teresa yeah um it's just something i was taught um i don't think the catholic church i grew up in was quite like the one Kelly went to, the whole idea of original sin was more like a stain. And children were baptized very young to remove that stain. So then you started out fresh until the age where you 
I can't remember what it was called, but that where, where you could tell the difference between right and wrong. Did they call it the age of accountability or is that, or did yeah, they call it maybe that's else? what it was. Yeah. Yeah. That there was, there was a point where, and it, it wasn't just like, Oh, five years old, they're accountable. Now it was just based upon their maturity and, uh, Nothing really happened. It just like, you know, you're a little kid and you're in the grocery store and you see candy and stick it in your pocket. Oh, you know better. <laughs> but at a certain age, it, children don't know any better till they're taught. And that was kind of the point of parents and godparents to make sure the children were being taught correctly so they never fell into that sin state. Because after baptism, they basically had a clean slate. Sure, sure. But like I said, I, I think the church I went to was quite a bit different than uh, what Kelly went to. Well, it sounds really what I was thinking. So it doesn't sound like it's far off from a regular Catholic Catholicism, you know, paradigm. Yeah. Like, it, that sounds really, because I think they have to go through like a catechism, which is just the teachings of the church before right. they can take the sacrament. Or experience the sacrament of baptism. Well, uh, baptism, baptism happened as a baby. Did, so they weren't they were christened as a baby or baptized baptized as a baby to remove the stain of sin that they were born with. Is that right? Right. right. Yeah, and, and that I read about that, and that kind of that tradition started back when there was some kind of plague and babies were dying. Lots of babies were dying and people were concerned about them. So they started baptizing them very young to ensure that they would go to heaven. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> it's kind of uh, for good, for good measure. Like, yeah. Yeah. Know. Why they're young, make sure, you know, just in case something happened till they were able to make their own decisions for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a, a behavior, a response based on the paradigm of original sin based on right. the original curse so right. they did those things right because of that because they believed that that child was in danger of eternal damnation i suppose or in danger of yeah probably so um yeah. but it was it, it was kind of strange because the original sin is not something that you've actually actively done you know, and it's not looked at, you know, I don't remember people saying, oh, those babies are going to die and go to hell. It was more like if they died, they had grace upon them, most of them. And uh, there was no, no going to hell as far as that goes until they reached the age of uh, what you said, accountability. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, just kind of covering and, and protecting. And they may they they may have wound up in purgatory. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I didn't. I um. Let's see. I guess I was about ten or eleven when we quit going to church. But I did go to catechism for a while after we quit after I left the uh, Catholic school. But that was a long time ago. <laughs> um i want to know if you're willing to share this what is your relationship with purgatory now what do um, you i i don't really believe in it i think of purgatory as just something made up by the church truthfully to give people hope that there's still an opportunity for people even after they died to go to heaven, you know, you pray for them and light candles and that's supposed to kind of send them on their way. Sure. Sure. And gosh, that's, that is in more than one religion, right. Of, of singing people across and singing people over with water and candles and song and prayers and even monetary <laughs> gifts yeah. to help people pass through singing them over yeah did you yeah. want to say some more about that 
excuse me. It, I always took it to mean that people who had not made an active, I don't recall there being like the, the Protestants, the getting saved kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> it was always just a part of our lives. You know, I can't remember a time that I didn't believe in Jesus, you know, and I didn't feel that commitment to live a good life and you know follow him so I don't know how that worked with other people but it was always my experience that he was there I was here and uh, you know we were all good and everything you know so I didn't have that pressure from the church to be saved I think the um sacrament of uh Oh, can't think of it. Confirmation is when you reach a certain age, they have this confirmation thing, and you learn all the stuff about the church, and then they basically kind of have a little ceremony that brings you in as an adult around the age of 12, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. It's like your godparents spoke for you as a baby when you were baptized. When you reach confirmation, you speak for yourself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So what we're talking about here is the activities of of a people group based on um, their belief in original sin or original blessing and kind of what those people do in response to that and how we think about ourselves. Because it's interesting that you say that you believe that you and, and God were all good, but at the same time, I understand that there's a fair amount of um, like, I, I don't know, maybe some guilt and some feelings of guilt and shame based on sinful activities and the confession, like the confession piece, especially in the Catholic religion, um, that there seems to be a lot of like guilting people into being good or staying good. Um, but even though there's not that choice point for salvation, in, in, in that particular brand of religion, there's not that choice point, but there is um, this idea of staying good or staying in good graces and staying up with your confessions and, and, um, and with the sacraments. So I, it's, in, it's an interesting, it's an interesting religion for sure. Oh yeah. And <laughs> like I said, I think some of my take on it may I, I can't remember how much of it comes from my parents and how much of it comes from the church, what I was taught. Right. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, so activities based on original sin and original curse. I, I'm, I was kind of, we've just been defining this whole construct. Is there anything that, that anybody's aware of, of, of ways in which you may view, um, like may view yourself and view the categories of humanity based on this paradigm. Based on this paradigm, how are we thinking about ourselves and about creation? Go ahead. Yeah, I think, uh, can everybody hear me? I've got these earbuds. Things yeah, going. sound great. Okay, cool. Um, man, everything that we perceive and everything that that we act everything that we live in our lives is tied to what we're talking about um if if you look at the bible and you read the bible with the impression that you are a sinner that uh you were born that way that there was nothing you could do about it and that you have to make a particular decision in order to save yourself from from hell and that decision has to be tied somehow to a person really that you never met before um it's it's uh it's one of those things that that is so basic to our psyche that it taints everything else that that we read in the bible um our perspective and who we think we are um, will dictate what the Bible tells us 
and what it says. Um, at some point, I hope I hope Eve has an opportunity to talk about what she saw happened in in, in the Garden of Eden because uh, uh, her explanation of it is is really there was no sin at all, um, and it, it was really cool. And coming from from that perspective, you can see something totally different in the Bible, and and I'm reminded about the man that was born blind in, in John. And, you know, he was sitting there and Jesus walked by, the disciples walked by and the, the disciples got uh, this thing in their head. There, there was a paradigm at that point in, in that society, in that life. And that paradigm was somebody had to have sinned in order for this man to be born blind. So the disciples ask, hey, was it this man's sin that caused him to be born blind? Or was it the sin of his parents that, that caused him to be born blind? And when you read that story and you go through it, <clears throat> the thing that, that comes in, uh, there's lots to say in that, but the thing that, that comes and resounds out of that is Jesus's voice saying, hey, there, there was no sin involved with this. Um, but because everybody else believed that there was, that was the truth. That was what was causing everybody to be blind in that situation and not just the man that was born blind. So Jesus spits on the ground, rubs mud on this dude's face, um, says, go, uh, you know, take a bath in, in uh, the pool of Siloam and, and then come back. And then everybody starts fighting this dude. You know, he, he, be, he becomes sightful he begins to see but he doesn't he doesn't see everything because when he was released and his eyes were open the first thing that he wanted to do is go join the temple which was the entity that um, prescribed that original belief anyway so his eyes were open but he didn't realize the fact that it was jesus uh it was the christ that uh, that caused him to see again and that it was not just a physical thing, but it was the fact that he could then stand up to the Pharisees and say, this was not caused by my sin. It was the, it was the paradigm of killing the illusion of sin that Jesus took uh, that moment and tried to teach us. And then when the man that was born blind finally recognized Christ, he was kicked out of the temple. Um, the very thing that he thought he wanted to have, he found out was actually the oppressor and he was set free from things that wasn't, that he wasn't even knew he was in, in bondage of. Um, so that, that whole scenario, yeah, it's, it's a man that, that was blind and then, and then, was able to see, but I think the real story in that is what is Jesus trying to tell us about sin? <laughs> he was trying to kill the paradigm that you were born in sin. And, and I think he did a great job in that, uh, in that particular account in, in history of showing us that just because, that what we believe to be true, we're going to live under. Um, but what we believe to be true may not always be true. So let's get to the bottom of it. Let's, let's look at the myth in this. And was there really an original sin? Um, and if you, if you look at the, at the Bible and you look at uh, uh, what his teaching is, from a perspective that I am not a sinner fallen that needs somebody to save me, but that I am already saved and that I was created that way. And I'm going through a process to whatever. And there, uh, and the consequence of, of eternal hell and, and eternal heaven uh, is all wrapped up in that original story. And the truth is that we live under what we believe about that. And we receive information based on what we already believe about that. Mm. Um, so look at it differently. 
people is look at it from a, a different perspective. Uh, what is the definition of sin? What is the definition of salvation? Um, you know, do you really, does saying a prayer really save you from, from hell? And, you know, where is that in, in the Bible? You know, we've been, we've all been uh, in a position where we've seen people do that. You go up uh, after the Billy Graham crusade and you make a decision for, for God or whatever. And that, and that saves you from, from hell. Um, where the hell is all of that in there? It's, it's stuff that we just took. And that is what I believe is original sin, that we are born into a situation where we really don't have a choice but to believe what other people tell us um, to be true. Uh, until the Spirit of God, we can be born in the Spirit of God, and the Spirit tells us what is true. Um, and yeah, not I mean, being, you're saying you're saying quite a bit, quite a bit yeah. there that I I can Sorry. feel the big <laughs> the big blocks like kind of like it's like sort of still staying there because we all have these mindsets, right? That this is not just unique to certain people. This is all of us have this mindset of like fundamentally flawed yeah i mean we and that changes how we see everything yeah. even the bible even god yeah we see ourselves as separate as a as a, a separate entity in need of redemption, in need of, of saving. And I think that in all of these, from for me, it when we go deep enough, it is both and. Because I do need redemption. <laughs> I do need a resurrection and not just one, but probably dozens of moments in my life where I need resurrections and deaths. And it takes a different definition though. It's a definite, it, it's not, it's no longer it's no longer this ultimate. Um, it's no longer about heaven or hell, but it's about. It becomes around my own, my own personal experience of myself and of others, and the hell that I am willing to let myself linger in, here and the heaven i'm willing to accept i the, the fundamentally flawed piece i i don't think vanishes very easily it's, especially you know i don't know if it's just a human construct or if it really is because of the teaching of western in our western civilization it comes from this religious idea these constructs that are just kind of in the airwaves of our culture go ahead oh sorry i was saying good morning to kyle yeah, yeah. I, well, I, did you want to say something? You, oh, you were unmuted. Yeah. I was, I, what you said a moment ago about needing redemption um, from our, from your, basically from yourself, I can, and I was thinking to myself that I, that I can agree with that part. I can get on board with needing to be born again within myself, um, uh, coming back to myself as a human being and my character and my personality and the way that I react and feeling flawed, um, feeling disconnected within myself. I, I don't, um, it's hard for me sometimes because I don't want to say this and sound arrogant or like, cause it's not that at all, but I, I just don't have the, I don't have that. I was born fundamentally, I was born flawed inside of me. I don't have the, um, I don't struggle with that. I don't struggle with ever feeling like I was born bad. 
I've never believed that. And I, I'm, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm realizing that, you know, what, what I originally grew up in as far as uh, church or religion with my mother might be the reason that I don't feel that way <laughs> because I was never told that I was born sinful or bad or that, or that I was separate from God. Those that I was never told that. So it wasn't until I came out and then got saved that that was entered that that entered into my language and into my life and so there's always been this conflict inside of me that that this bigger part of me this on the inside says no that's not that's not right now i can get on board with knowing that i i am i have flaws and i have character defects and i have those things because of things that have happened in my life because of trauma that has happened in my life um and so that's where my working through is happening. But, and I don't know if that makes sense, but it's hard for me to say, yes, I can relate. Cause I can't relate to feeling like, um, I was born sinful, that that's our nature. I don't believe that for any of us. What have you done with the teaching in the Protestant church around sin nature and Christ nature? Well, I mean, when I, when I started, when I came to understand who I am in Christ or when I got saved and I prayed the prayer and my pastor said, if you died tomorrow, where do you think you would go, heaven or hell? I mean, that was the first time that language had ever been introduced to me. And so I followed that path and just did what I thought I needed to do. And I prayed the prayer and now I'm saved. And so now I've, I've lived that life of believing, oh, I do need to be saved. I do need Christ. I do need redemption. I do, I do want to go to heaven. I want to know that my eternity is going to be with God and not in hell. But then that now that has changed again because of the message that we preach, the message that house church gives, that the all-in message that we're we've already been saved from the foundation of the earth. We have already been saved. That it's not, there's not a formula that we could pray that would bring us to that place. It's already been done for us. So it's, it's interesting to me that I, I'm working it out as an adult, not, not the same way that many of you are who have grown up in evangelical fundamental churches and um, have been told from the time you were tiny that you're bad. Well, it's a mixed message though, right? Because it, it's like you're wanted and you're loved as a, as a child, typically by somebody in your life, by so someone hopefully had favor on you and loved you, even if your parents didn't want you. Um, usually somebody has shown you some kind of kindness. So you feel that you have some sort of inherent worth and value, but it's around like your eternal salvation, your eternal blessing or your eternal curse that becomes the issue. Um, I would suggest that even if one did not um, believe that they were bad as at any point in life, there's this sense of incompleteness. There's a, there's a sense of not being enough of um lacking something i mean can we agree there that there's a sense of i mean do you i mean i don't know do you do you feel lacking in some way incomplete in some way even though it, i i don't it, it's a it's it's it might be more than original sin but i think it all it, the definition is all included in original sin because it's a way that we think about ourselves that feels separate and that feels that there are good people and there are bad people, that there are, are folks that are, yeah, I mean, we have these categories. Um, and I, I hesitate, I hesitate when we say what, what house church preaches because I wonder what people are hearing which is why we have these conversations, because I think there's a tremendous amount of confusion of, around 
what do we mean by redeemed and what do we mean by saved and salvation and what how is this related to our our experience of life here and how is this related to where we go when we die um i think that they are two separate issues two separate subjects um interesting that that you begin to think that your your fleshly because that's what we're talking about the flesh nature or the sin nature the fleshly fleshly desires were something to be avoided or crucified as paul said that you crucify the flesh um, daily that you subdue it and push it down and the desires of the flesh um, especially if you're you're walking after a certain christian religion that it would be a um, to, to choose the fruit of the spirit or choose the ways of God as we understand them over and against the ways of the flesh, making the flesh something to be avoided, you know, desires of the flesh, the pride of life, the, the, the sinful desires of our bodies that um, are against God, that are really, that God is trying to purge us from, that God's trying to purify us from. Anybody want to comment on that? Say more about selfish, Teresa. What do you mean? Um, it's your it's your selfish desires, I think, that make people feel separated, because the Bible is all about kindness and giving and helping. And when you put your selfish desires, it separates you from what people would think of as godly behavior. So the, 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 I think that's where that innate separation comes from is your, your own self selfish desires, your self interest. And when you allow that to take over your life, that causes the separation. You know, that's a really good point. And it causes our own self, um, deprecation aren't we we want to con we condemn ourselves and we think badly about ourselves based on what, how we think we should be performing in life and i think that's where i'm really trying to get to is is how if if we believe that we are fundamentally loved and and fundamentally beloved how does that play out in our daily life how does that work with our self talk how does that work in our relationships? How does that work in what we think about? We're, we're thinking thousands of thoughts that never get voiced. And you know your own personal rehearsal and your own personal play that goes on in here. How would a paradigm shift from fundamentally sinful and separate to fundamentally beloved and having the capacity to receive love, how might that impact our practical living? I, there's a, a story in Buddhist tradition. Um, many of you know that I have a, a Buddhist uh, monk friend named Herb that I get together with on occasion. And he tells me about the hungry ghost and um, they have different levels of hell and different levels of, um, you know, places that they believe that they go um, based on their behavior here in the world. And But they have this caricature of a hungry ghost. And basically the hungry ghost has a very, very tiny throat and is only able to take in a very small amount of food. But the hungry ghost has a really big stomach giant capacity and desire for nourishment and food but the hungry ghost cannot get enough food to satisfy his big desire and i relate to that feeling as a as a human being our desires seem to never be satiated never satisfied this hungry ghost i think lives in all of us 
a a deep desire for more for good for pleasure for sensation for difference for ecstasy we need it like it's 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 what we desire and how does this love how does love or knowing we're loved begin to nourish that part of ourself that never seems to be desired you know fat satisfied and can it can being the beloved and can receiving the love of god and letting god love us or letting love be the support from which we do our life extinguish the hungry ghost idea how can we let love penetrate our fabric love penetrate our paradigm and literally help us repent which means to really change our mind about how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about other people and i i really think that the reception of of that of that real love that holds together the whole cosmos is is the is the way to satisfying the hungry human heart because we are so hungry we are so so hungry um so yeah good discussion good discussion and it uh it it pulls you know it's just it's just something so radical for me um I, my mind was blown this week when someone it, you know when someone said i always thought that my humanity was an obstacle between uh, for my faith and i'm like yeah me too like it i have taken years to undo that and to include and invite my humanity and all that i am into my faith experience it's taken years to do that because i just fundamentally thought it was something i needed to push down and instead it's something that actually is used to connect me with god that my humanity is necessary to connect me with god it's how god chose to be in relationship with me is through my mind soul body that god is speaking to me through my body and my mind and my soul and my spirit um that the spirit is not the only good part of my body right that, that but that my body is good too and so these things i think are layers layers of understanding and layers of inclusion that i think would radically transform our practical experience of love and faith when we start to include um the parts of ourselves that we have deemed unholy the parts of ourselves that we have deemed outside of spirit yeah because uh, I think we're inching up to something that we would call, and as we've been ministering at House Church over the month of June, is this climate of blessing, that we would be in a culture of blessing. And I think what I'm meaning to say is that we would shift that paradigm, not of original sin, but that we might shift our paradigm to believe that we are originally blessed and that we are originally favored and highly favored by God. Um, I'd love to, con to continue exploring this topic of original sin and original blessing. And, um, and think about that hungry ghost, how that hungry ghost shows up in your own life. Um, it, it don't, don't tell me you don't have a hungry ghost because uh, <laughs> we'd have to talk. Yeah, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we are, we are a needy people and um and we we need a lot and i just want to say that i need you guys and um the church for me is interacting with you that is what this ministry is to me and the community is interacting on levels with you that um that nourish my soul and in connecting with you and hearing from you is letting god love me
So God bless you on your day, this hour, and every hour of your day.